Good morning. My name is Joe Hendricks, and today we will, be, we will again be reading from Colossians 3, 1 through 17. It can be found in your pew Bible on 984. So please turn with us there. It's Colossians 3, 1 through 17, page 984. If then you have been raised with Christ, sing, seek the things that are above, for Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek nor and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these things, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. It's good to see everyone. Let me pray for us one more time and then we'll jump into this. You actually, before I pray over you, just take a deep breath and ask God to speak to you. He knows what you're facing, what you're bringing in, where your mind's at what's being stirred as we sing and pray and hear these words. So just ask him to give you what you know you need this morning. Gracious God, with these things on our heart and mind, we ask now that you would speak to us. We are a needy people. We are a distracted people. We are a wounded people. We are a prideful, hard-hearted people. We're often confused and harassed and like sheep that um, just feel overwhelmed. So great shepherd, would you come and gather us this morning? Would you speak to us this morning? Would you reorient our hearts around the truth of who you are, what you've done, and what you call us to? And I'm thankful that as we just voiced these hundreds of little prayers uh, you heard them all, you have the power to meet them all, and you are good and compassionate and generous. So come now, we ask, as we look at your word, 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, uh, let me begin where I normally end kind of the service. So if you've been here before, we kind of close with a benediction. So I'll normally come to about here or so, and I'll try to sneak an announcement in normally, like a reminder for something. If I'm feeling pretty insecure about how unclear the sermon was, I'll try to give like a quick summary of it, just like one last attempt in like 30 seconds. And then I'll ask you to hold your hands open, and then I'll say something like, hey, we've gathered this morning to hear the good news of Jesus. Really do want to give you like a main idea of why and how. And then I'll say, so go now and proclaim hope and pursue transformation and push back darkness. That sound at all familiar? Do you remember something? I normally stumble in my words and I mix some words up and sometimes you can't understand what I'm saying because it's too fast. But essentially I want to send you out with this call or reminder or exhortation or invitation to, to go and proclaim hope to your neighbors, to your coworkers, to your family, to your friends. And go pursue your own transformation, pursue change, real, real change that we've talked about that Jesus makes possible. And, and as you do that, push back darkness, the darkness inside and the darkness that's in the world around us. And it's a way of talking about maybe the great commandments and the great commission of Jesus to, to love God with all your heart and to go love others and then to go make disciples. You could talk about it like that. It's not branding for me of like, I want you to get our logo in your mind so I remind you every week. It's actually what I think the whole thing is about. I send you out with those words because I think Jesus came to give us hope. I think Jesus came to really transform and change us. And part of that is the partnership we have with him in the advancing of his kingdom to push back darkness. I really believe Jesus wants to give you hope and wants to use you to share that with others. I really do believe Jesus wants to change you and transform you. And I really do believe Jesus wants to see our world more in line with his kingdom, to see darkness pushed back. It's why he died. It's why he came. It's why he conquered his evil enemies on the cross so that we would have hope to actually push back that darkness. That's kind of what our whole thing is about. If you're wondering, like, what is Christianity for? Why do we do this? Why do we sing these songs? Why do we pray these prayers? It's around those themes of hope and transformation and seeing the world actually Redeemed, And this Colossians text just puts us in all those themes. It puts us in a theme right where we were in chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 a few weeks ago about hope, about what Jesus came to do, right? And he says, if you've in, been in Christ, if you've been raised with him, right, this is new life, this is being forgiven, this is being set free, then set your mind on things above and actually be changed and transformed as your life is hidden with Christ and God. So there's, there's the hope there. And last week we were in 5.2.11 and we talked about this taking off or putting to death the, the aggressive nature of the execution of sin that's required for God's people to move towards holiness. It's a pushing back of darkness inside of you and outside of you, right? Because these things that are named there of sensuality and things of anger are things that you participate in and you involve other people in the darkness. So, so to push that back is 5 2, 11, and then we come to 12 to 17 where, where we just ask, like, what does transformation look like? What would it look like if I actually was being transformed? Like, if I'm not supposed to do these things, then what do I, what do, I do instead? And there's a logical connection in all these verses. You'll see the if-then and a therefore and thens all over this thing. He's weaving those together. They're not independent little test tubes or petri dishes. They actually spill over on each other to the degree that we know who Jesus is. We want to turn away from the things that are not him. 
The more we love him, the more we turn away from false loves. And we turn away from those and we turn back to him. There's this kind of dance or continuity of these three things of hope and transformation and and pushing back of, of darkness. We've been in this series for a couple of weeks just asking, like, how does change happen? What's, what is the good news of Jesus? How does it actually function? And, and I'm eager for you to kind of have these things in your heart. And we come to this third kind of piece of transformation this morning. I want to give you four C's to kind of hold on to this text. We're really just going to walk through the text really linearly because I think there's a beautiful argument that he makes here. But, but we're going to talk about the complementing call that we saw last week. Last week was take off. This one is, is put on. So there's a complementing call. There's a composite sketch of what we should be pursuing. There's a comprehensive command in this. And there's a call to cultivate thankfulness. I'll remind you of those as we go along. But look with me in verse 12 for this complimenting call. He says, put on then. So go back to 7th grade grammar. The then there means he's already said something else. He said, take off the things of the flesh. And now then put on as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And then he's going to give us a description. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness. Forgiveness. He's going to tell us to dwell in the peace of Christ, have God's word inside of us, to, to be a people that sing and are grateful. He's going to give us a composite sketch in a second. But, but this complimenting call is super important to us because it means that Christianity is not simply aimed at telling you to stop being bad, to stop messing up, to stop embarrassing yourself, to stop, stop hurting people. It's a call to something. It's not just quit it. It's come. It's not just quit doing these things because they're going to hurt you or somebody else. It's come towards life. When we do confession, when we take some time just to own the darkness of our hearts, it's not for the purpose of shame or condemnation or to remind you how small you are. It's in service of liberation. It's in service of freedom. It's in service of unburdening your heart so that you can move to the one who loves you and has called you. So, so there is this complimenting call. He uses a clothes illustration here. Galatians uses a crop illustration of the seeds of the flesh and the seeds of the Spirit and the fruits of the flesh and the fruits of the Spirit. So, so we have a clothing thing here. He's essentially saying, hey, take off these things, but not to be too weird. But he doesn't like just leave you naked and exposed. He says, put these things on instead. So, so stop going this direction, which is towards other loves, and repentance is turning, we said last week, and moving towards something else. And if you remember, it got a little ridiculous. I was talking about when you're trying to walk both directions, how you kind of emotionally and spiritually do the splits. And most of us live in this world where we still are tantalized and um, not fully convinced the flesh is a dead-end road. So we keep going after these things, sensuality and anger, kind of what he names in that space, kind of using people as commodities that we could consume or, or somebody that we could actually compete with or dominate or conquer. That's, that's kind of maybe the essence of those two sins. So, so we want to do some of that in the shadows. We're not quite free from that. But we also know, man, there's something life-giving and beautiful about Jesus. So we find ourselves kind of torn. And this call to a complimenting put on is a call to stop this, leave this, and then move this direction to where life actually happens. So last week, the big effort was to say, hey, holiness and pursuing faith and Christianity is not a passive religion. It takes a kind of grit and a kind of sincerity and a kind of effort. You won't casually or accidentally look like Jesus. 
It will take a kind of effort that is stopping and taking off the old garments and then putting on these clothes that actually match his identity. And it's probably too silly of an illustration to think about. Like even when you look at the Chiefs Stadium, all the red that's there. And you can tell like who the good guys are because they have the red on. And the other guys have a different color on. Those are the bad guys. But we want to have the right kind of colors on, the right kind of garments and clothing on. And as we think that through a little bit, there's a moment of just pause I felt as I prayed for you this morning. That illustration is really helpful for me to, repentance means turning around. But I thought maybe some of you don't feel torn. Maybe you feel like really, really, really far down that road. Like it's been a long time that you've pursued the things of the flesh and you have walked really, really far. And to hear a call to come back just feels overwhelming. Like can I ever get back? Can I ever make that journey. I mean, this has been decades in the making, Pastor Chris. I don't know if I can get back. I don't have the stamina to come back. So maybe you're in your 80s and you've loved your kids and grandkids and now you feel alone. And there's this sense of like bitterness and isolation and anger that's brewing inside of you. And it's become such a familiar friend. You wonder, can I ever leave that behind? Maybe you're really far down the road and you're in your 40s and and you're feeling kind of the rumblings of midlife crisis. It's not working anymore and you were doing all the stuff you were supposed to do and you just kind of feel a little bit empty and you're you're pretty far down this road, man. You, You got the degree, you bought the house, you're in the kind of debt, you've been doing all the things, your reputation is established and built, you're really far down the road and the thought of turning and abandoning all that, declaring bankruptcy on all that is pretty overwhelming. Maybe you're in your 20s and You've been kind of engaging kind of faithfully, but you're still single or, or you still can't land a job that matches your degree or you just not feel whole quite yet. And you're wondering, has God let you down? Maybe you're 14 and he's an illustration of sheep and of valuable possessions and then, and then of a son. Jesus tells a story of this son who essentially abandoned his father and his family and said, holiest of lows. He's now not a pig farmer. He's working for a pig farmer. And not with like an up and rising like startup in a kind of an urban situation where it's a really cool farming. This is like desperate situation. He's in the mud starving to death, the text tells us. And he has this moment of awakening and he remembers who he is. He remembers his father. He remembers what it's like back home. And he says, oh, my father's servants, they have food. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to repent. I'm going to say I'm sorry, and I'm going to ask him just to take me back as a servant. I know I don't deserve to be a son. I'm just going to come and be a servant. And so he starts to march back home, long journey back home. And the text says, when the father saw him, he ran to him. For those of you who feel really far down the road, like you're really far down the road and you wonder, can I ever make it back Would you hear the good news of the gospel that we couldn't make it back, which is why the Son of God came in our place into our world to come and rescue and redeem us. And the text says in Luke 15 that the father ran to him. The son gives his repentance speech. And rather than kind of shaming him or giving him instructions, the very next thing he says is get him a robe, get him a ring, get him shoes for his feet, clothe my son in what it means for him to be my son before he's done anything before he's proven it before he's earned it before he's been faithful simply repenting and turning and the father runs to him 
Jesus is saying this is the way God is to all of us. And so to those of you who feel really far down the road, can I just hear, or can you just hear the good news that, that Jesus actually has come for you and he's holding these clothes for you. And it's rooted in what he has actually done for you. He doesn't want to leave you exposed and naked. He wants to wrap you in his garments. And their identity garments. They're not just behavior garments first. They're first identity garments. Look in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is covenant language you would see in the Old Testament of God's faithful people. And the Hesed kind of love that preserved them, that Jesus has this kind of Greek word or for agape kind of love, this unconditional or even contra-conditional kind of love, contrary to what you deserve. God's loved you and he chose you and he makes you holy and you are beloved. It's real similar to what we see in the first part of this chapter of 3, 1 to 4, that we're hidden with Christ and God, that we've been raised with him. These are things that are about our identity. And it's stuff that he does for us, but he starts with reminding us of who we are. And can you just catch this? He's in verse 12. He was saying these things as early as like verse 4, as if we're a forgetful people, as if we can't get very far into a list before we're tempted to drift back and go back to the old way. Right? He's reminding them of who they are so quickly because we are a forgetful people. And we're a pretty indiscriminate people. We will clothe ourselves with all kinds of things. Go back to our first parents in the garden. As soon as they realize they're exposed, they grab leaves. I'm so glad that you didn't take a cue from that fashion sense this morning and come walking in just with a couple of leaves. I mean, how like silly. It's like a child going, hey, you can't see me because I can't see you. And everyone disappears when I disappear. It's that sort of thing. It doesn't work. There's no way it could actually cover us. Like the sensuality can't cover you. Like the malice can't cover you. Like the anger can't cover you. Like the impurity, like the passion, like the evil desire. Like the slander, like the obscene talk. Like all the possessions in the world. Like none of that can cover you. So he reminds you of your clothing, of your covering. And it's a complimenting call. Put these things to death and then move towards something beautiful. Christianity is a forward-moving faith. It's not just stopping, it's starting and pursuing and engaging. And he's the one that does all the work. Hey, there's a ton there. And should God give us decades together, we'll talk a lot about kind of what it means to kind of live into a full identity. But I just want you to see this complimenting call that's rooted in identity so we can get now to this composite sketch of what these clothes look like. What is it that he calls us to put on? If it's not sensuality and anger, if it's not, not soothing and comfort and it's not power and control, then, then what is it? Look with me in verse 12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And before we go any farther, just think about our world's insatiable desire for power and think about how like provocative that list is. Think about what we traffic in relationally to get approval and think about this list. How we are always posturing, we're always pretending, we're always exaggerating, or we're actually diminishing, we're hiding, we're doing something to manage. And what you have now instead of this kind of flex is compassionate hearts, 
kindness and humility and meekness and patience. These words I don't think are meant to be exhaustive to us. Think, think about a composite sketch. You, you get a similar list in places like 1 Corinthians 13 or in Galatians chapter 5 or in the Sermon on the Mount all over the place there, but particularly in chapter 5 of that Jesus gives us the Beatitudes. You see these composite sketches of what it looks like for God's people to trust and follow him. And I won't do a deep dive into all these words. You know what they, what they mean. But there's something fascinating about this compassionate hearts phrase. It's actually something about our guts. It's like something on the inside. In the ancient world, they would talk about not emotions coming from your heart, but from your gut. Because it's where you feel it, right? You kind of feel it down in your tummy. Whether it's that butterfly when you see the, the beautiful one or it's the place of shame, you, you feel it down in your gut. So they're like, hey, that's where this thing comes from. That's where we talk about like compassion coming from the guts. But it's like deep is that idea. It's a deep kind of compassion that then would move us towards kindness and humility and meekness and patience. It, it's mercy. Because we realize how much we've been given as God's chosen, holy, and beloved, we've been loved. Now we can, from the deep places of our souls, give a compassion, a kindness, a humility, a meekness, and a patience. I just think that's so beautiful. He calls you first to remember what you have and then to act in light of that. And all of those things would describe Jesus. You think about a passage like Philippians 2 that would describe Christ in these kinds of terms. Being, being very God, the, the very one who's equal with God, God himself emptying himself and taking on the form of a servant and coming into our world. These are Jesus' clothes. He's not inviting us to do something he hasn't done. He's actually modeled this for us, and he empowers us to do it. So, so deep compassion and mercy and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. And then he says, bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, Forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. So it moves from like being kind to paying the price yourself. And of course, there's some connection here with being patient with people and bearing with them and knowing how much you need to be forgiven. If those are the bookends, you stand in the space where someone has harmed you and you say, oh man, I could give the kind of grace I've been given. And I could show the kind of patience that I've been shown. I could, I could give the kind of cost that the Father and the Son and the Spirit have, have purchased for me. I could bear with one another when I remember how much God has borne with me. How patient he's been with me. How much he's forgiven. That's the motivation, right? Can you see that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is the motivation for these things? The, the string or the stitch of the garments comes from the good news of the gospel. It's the way that we actually hold this thing Together, to forgive as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. Again, almost like we're a forgetful people. Hey, remember, you've been forgiven. Remember what God has shown you. All I'm asking you to do is live in light of that. I'm just asking you to kind of embody that, to, to reflect that, to, to put these clothes on and take off the clothes of consuming people. Take off the clothes of, of competing with them and instead put on the garments of compassion that would have you actually move towards people the way God moves towards people. And there's something about remembering how much we've been forgiven that motivates this whole thing. And it actually humanizes you in the best of ways. Both, both because you realize you need grace, so there's a humbling nature to that. So we don't go into our high horse and we don't gossip and slander and have malice and obscene talk to people because we realize how broken we are, how much we've been forgiven. 
And then it's also like a validating, like a beautiful welcome. Like God, God sees you. He forgives you. He calls you to himself. You have been forgiven. So, so you must forgive, he says, and you have already been forgiven. These are gospel realities that ground God's people that then shape their reflexes to relate to others. These are gospel realities that ground God's people and shape our reflexes and how we relate to others. To keep in front of you how much you've been forgiven. To, to imagine standing in the mirror in the morning and getting dressed spiritually, emotionally with your identity. And you're putting on compassion. You're, you're putting on belovedness. You're putting on holiness. You're putting on chosenness. And you remember these garments were purchased by the blood of Jesus. That's how you have them. So you want to reflect and show them to other people. The composite sketch, again, is very much about Jesus. It's what he's done for us. And we can see people not as commodities or as competition when we realize what we've done. I think that's what's going on in verse 11. When he talks about, remember last week, there's not Greek or Jew or circumcised or uncircumcised or barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. It's all, it's all about him and seeing people in light of who he says they are stops the impulse to use them or be afraid of them or compete with them. If Christ is all and in all, then these are fellow image bearers. And the person that I'm tempted to take advantage of or, or be afraid of, I don't actually have to take that step. As a creature, I can respond to them as a creature as well underneath the mighty hand of God, realizing that I'm not going to interact with anybody who's not an eternal being, who's made in the image of God, regardless of their social status or background or their caste or class in that space, it changes how I relate. So, so there's this composite sketch that motivates us. It changes us. It transforms us. It, it shifts things for us. So, so he says, you must forgive. And then verse 14, he says, and above all these, put on love. It's kind of the summary outer coat garment. It's the way that we kind of wrap it all together. Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It's a composite sketch, but the, the thing that wraps that, the primary color is one of love. And again, you, you realize the Bible speaks a lot about love. Our call to love others, but also the way God has loved us. And so 1 John 4 would be huge if you're taking notes. It says, Beloved, let us love one another because God has already loved us. No, no one can say they love God and not love their brother. And the way that he loved us is by dying in our place to bear the wrath for our sin. Write down 1 John 4 in the margins of your Bible or in your notes to kind of reflect on the love of Christ for you that, that does bind everything together. It is the gospel binding that kind of holds it all in place. It's put on love then which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Be, be at peace. Let it dwell there. Let it rest there. Let it guard you there. What Christ has done for you because remember, again, this is what you have been called to in one body and, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, so a composite sketch of what he's calling us to put on that he has provided for us that matches his character and his action and his enablement. Remember, because we have been forgiven, because we've been set free, because we've been chosen, because we are already loved, beloved, there's no risk. It's not a zero-sum game like if you give away some, you don't have enough 
for yourself. This is the abundant one, the eternal one, the preexistent one, the preeminent one who's calling you to love the way that he has actually loved you. And it's a beautiful picture. It's something that like inspires us, welcomes us, changes us, heals us, leads us in a space that actually is different than the world around us. It is very different than the power structures that you and I get pushed on us. The lie that is so pervasive of what will make you whole is almost maybe the opposite of these things. There's probably like a version of some of this that you could do that would be manipulative, right? There's maybe a kindness to get something in return. There's maybe a meekness that comes from shame. There may may be some versions or expressions or or smells or flavors of these things that you could embody. But but actually what you see here is that these are coming from a, a real beautiful place because of what Christ has done. Not a parasitic kind of faux, fake understanding of these things that has edges to it and has kind of a tangledness to it and and is manipulative in its nature. So not kindness to get something, just kindness because you have received something. These are wildly different. And you know the manipulation game when you fall into the trap. It's really, really beautiful. It's rooted in love. And he has in there some things that we do, like like being in the Word and, and worshiping. And being in relationship with one another in community. And composite sketch part of these clothes is meeting with him, sitting with him, singing about him, telling other people about him through his word, praying to him. These practices that, again, we'll focus on next week are, are part of this composite sketch. And let me just say just one word, because actually Jimmy Dodd is going to preach next week, which will be best sermon of the year. I know. I get it. It's amazing. Let me just give you one thought from, from me. When it comes to this worship, I long for us to be like an expressive, thoughtful people when it comes to our worship. And I know we throw you a ton of curveballs. Like, I don't know. Please don't raise your hand. Like, if you, but you know half the songs this morning? I don't know how many, like, only. But but in our newsletter, we've started doing like, hey, here's how to prepare for Sunday. And here's the songs that we're going to sing. So if you regularly find yourself, like, with a great heart attitude, but a little bit frustrated on Sundays. You're like, I want to sing, but I don't know that song. If you find yourself in that spot, you can go to that little space there and just kind of get the set list for the day. I think it'll help us just a little bit. There's also prayers in that, the the prayers for offering and the prayers for for confession, because I realize if you've never seen these words and you're asked to say them out loud, it can be kind of overwhelming. Like, all right, on, on your mark, get set in front of 300 people, confess your darkest sins. Ready, go. And let's can be like, kind of overwhelming in that space and we try to use scripture and we use psalms and we use ancient prayers but some of those are our new prayers so I just want to like invite you to prepare a little bit coming into Sunday because maybe we need like warm our hearts and I don't think this is the only time that you're praying and worshiping and in God's word and in relationship it will be enough to hold you you need to practice these things throughout the week you need to practice these things for decades and for a lifetime and, and I want to I help. Um, so there's a little QR code on your bulletin that will give you like the prayers for that day. You can go to our, our newsletter to get the songs, to kind of get them inside your soul. And, and I actually loved it this week. I was able to kind of engage these and doing the dishes and just singing these songs. It was a little bit awkward when commercials break in. I don't know what to do about that yet. We'll figure out what to do with uh, commercials that break in on the set list. But, but there's a way I'm trying to get these in front of you because I want you to understand them. Because here's the deal. Last week I told you we're trying to give you language in repentance 
to talk about kind of a range of things so you don't get trapped in like seeing yourself myopically like you're just about lust or you're just about money or just about insecurity. God actually cares about lots of things and wants to heal you. So I pushed this kind of liturgy to you last week. Hey, but there's also an assurance of pardon in there. Because I want you to hear the good news of the gospel, that Christ loves you and forgives you and wants to rescue and redeem you. And so, so I would love it if you would print those out, if you would engage with those in your heart so that you can practice and give language and meditate. Because what we do in this room, as beautiful as it is and as fun as it is and as quirky as it is, it's not quite enough to hold you the other six and a half days. So I so want to put you there kind of in a space to engage that. Jimmy will explain everything much more clearer, but, but I don't know if he knows that announcement. Uh, so I want to kind of make that part of this morning for you as an action step to step towards that. Okay, this complimenting call, this composite sketch, and now this comprehensive command. It really is like a, a sketch. It's not complete. So, so look what he does in verse 17 of chapter 3. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything, in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I have given you some things. I've given you some colors. I've given you some shadows. I've given you some figures. I've given you some examples. I've given you some words that you know that you can kind of wrap your mind around. But it's not exhaustive. So let me be exhaustive. Here's the command. Whatever you do, in everything that you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's this spirit-led kind of dynamic way that we relate to God. Not following hundreds of rules to the T that would actually crush your soul. If you could pull it off better than most, you'd be really arrogant. And if you can't, you'd be filled with shame. So he doesn't call us simply to a list of rules that we could follow and then rank ourselves. He calls us into a relationship that has at the essence of it a desire to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Which would be like, can I do this and give him glory? Can I do this and tell other people about this? If someone walked in on me in this moment, would I be tempted to tell them about Christ or would I want to hide? If someone saw these things, if they heard these thoughts or whatever grid you want to run down in that space, whatever it is or in everything, the question is, am I doing that as unto the Lord? Because here's the deal, this omniscient, omnipresent, all-knowing God who loves you is everywhere and does see and that's not a boogeyman thing of like a distorted like Santa Claus deal. He sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake and so you better be good or you won't get any gifts. It's not that. It's, oh, you have a chance to live before the face of God when nobody else is watching. You could actually ask for his help when you feel overwhelmed and you feel like your only option is to consume somebody or to compete with them. You could stop and say, Jesus, would you help me? In whatever you do or in everything, this comprehensive command that's relational but exhaustive. Like he means, he does, he literally means everything. Like there's nothing that's outside the bounds. If he is the preeminent one who created everything, and we said in chapter one of Colossians, by him everything was made and everything was made for him, that means in all of the universe, there's nothing that Jesus doesn't see and say, mine. Everything is his. So it makes sense. It's just logically connected that we would stop and say, whatever it is that we're doing, words or deeds, do it all as unto him, which is an invitation. If that was do all in his name so you could be loved, 
so you could be beloved, so you could be holy, so that you could be chosen, it would kill you. But if he's already given that to you, if he's already loved you, if he already came for you way down that road and gave you these garments, then it's an invitation to wholeness. It's an invitation to life. It's an invitation to change and transformation. So, so a comprehensive command. And then we'll close with this. There's this call to cultivate thankfulness. I don't know if you caught it there three times in this little section here in verses 12 to 17. He says it. He's going to say it again in verse uh, or in chapter 4, he's going to say it three times in chapter 1 and 2. Seven times he calls you to be thankful in this text. It's a posture of remembering and, and being grateful and, and owning and comprehending and, and kind of grabbing onto what he has actually done for you and saying in my heart, oh, I, I know what he's done and I'm grateful. It puts us in the creature spot, not the creator spot. It puts us in the dependent spot, not the one who's omnipotent or the one who's omnicompetent. It puts you in a, a needy place to say, thank, thank you. There's a guy named Jim Wilder who's written lots of great books, and he's a little bit off the beaten path, not theologically, but he's not like uh, all the big sellers don't traffic in his books. I'd love to kind of send some to you. That's weird. I don't even know why I told you that. I think I told you that because I just like discovered him maybe 18 months ago, but he's not like a weirdo. He's like he's 70 or something. He's been around for a long time because there's no weirdo 70-year-olds, by the way. No weirdo 70-year-olds. Okay, let me get back. Um, okay, Jim Wilder. So he has a ton about um, connecting with God relationally, essentially. <laughs> That's a terrible setup just to go, hey, there's this guy who talks about how much God loves you. That's all I really want you to know. But he talks about like practices or how do you do that? And he, he's kind of getting in touch with things that happen inside our brain and inside of our bodies that, that those scriptures actually match. And so there's something like neurotheology or something he calls it. But essentially going like what's happening inside of our brains when we struggle, right? Because you, you know when you feel stressed, there's this kind of rush of all kinds of things that make you either blind to the right choices, make you want to run away. There's stuff that's happening inside, inside your body. So he's just kind of in touch with all that stuff. Now it sounds like voodoo. I promise it's not. He's actually in a really, really sweet space. But he, he calls us to like attachment, essentially. And basically goes like, hey, what if you thought about what Jesus came to do to make a secure attachment with you and the Father? What if all this covenant language of beloved and holy and chosen, this is like attachment kind of stuff. And How do you foster a, a sense of attachment? And he has in his books like several exercises that are super helpful. And one of them is like a gratitude exercise like a thankfulness exercise. And he says, if you will take just like five minutes a day, several times a day for 30 days, and just remember things that like you're grateful for, it will actually rewire the neural pathways in your brain and it will, it will change you. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty hard, though, to sit and just quietly just list things that you're thankful for. So he says, make a list of them, actually, to write things down that you think of. And everything from a cool breeze to a cup of coffee to, to salvation to your family to provision to healing to, to your past to your prayer. Like, just write this long list so that when you kind of run out of steam, you can move on to the next one and you can continue to cultivate gratitude. It's actually a brilliant idea. I think this, this text actually gives us a list of what to be thankful for, of what God has done for us, Colossians in so many ways is a, is a gratitude list. He's telling you to be thankful, and he's telling you what to be thankful for. But, but there's a sense in which it, it changes you. Okay, so, so this week I was scrolling through my phone. My phone is past its storage, so I can't do any updates or download. First world problems, I know. So I'm deleting as much as I can off this thing. And I come across this piece of paper that I took a picture of, and it's all these random words. It's things like fish tank and cool breeze and anniversary and Cabo and wedding night and the children and I'm like oh 
This has something to do with Adrian. I'm not exactly sure what, what this is. And I actually don't remember doing it. And then it hit me this week in kind of remembering some of this thankfulness that we were doing that exercise. We were trying to list stuff that we were grateful for, that we would actually be able to go back to and, and recall to cultivate something beautiful inside our hearts to remind us of all the things that God has done that we should be grateful for. Because three times he tells you just in these little verses to be thankful. It must be really important and it must be difficult to hold on to. It must be like a reorienting kind of true north sort of thing for you. And it must be a challenge or he wouldn't tell you so many times. There's something about stopping and remembering. I, I don't know, like maybe you would do that this week. Maybe you would just, from this text, what if you just did 3, 1 to 17? And you just stopped for a minute and you just wrote down what this text says God has done for you. And then you just thanked him for that. Because gratitude puts you in a position as one who's receiving. And so much of your temptation is to think you're supposed to be omnicompetent and just deliver and accomplish. But you're actually in a receiving posture. Because of what Christ has done, there is tons to eternally be grateful for. In so many ways, we gather together on Sunday mornings to create this list or pull this list back out and add to this list things that God has done. We sing songs and we pray prayers and we hear the scriptures to remind us of what it is that we are grateful for. And there's a cultivation thankfulness and then consume somebody else it's actually when you feel overwhelmed or isolated on your own that you're tempted towards those things maybe just as an application would you just take some time to reflect and remember what God has done for you and we'll get into those practices next week to kind of give you some framework for it but but you could start this week just what, what has God done and I realize I'm talking to a mixed room some of you are Christians and some of you are not yet called yourself followers of Jesus for those of you who aren't Christians, can you hear the good news of Christianity that God did all the work for you? He, he came into our world. He died a death that we should have died. He bore the penalty for our sin. He, he's the one who chooses us. He's the one who comes towards us. He's the one who makes us holy. He's the one who calls us beloved. And he did it through his death on the cross. And he didn't just die a martyr's death. The scripture tells us he rose again, showing his power to actually be God. So that means God himself came into our world, took your place as one who was on the outside so you could be welcomed in. That's the invitation of Christianity. It's what we remember every week, and it's what communion reminds us of. The reason why we take communion every week is this act of thanksgiving. In fact, the word Eucharist comes from, from a word for thanksgiving. It's to remind us regularly. The reason why we do it every single week is to never get very far away from what Christ has done to then kind of have our hearts reunited with his. So, so I want us to take communion now and we'll just start practicing this gratitude. Maybe you would want to bring in your heart and mind in the communion line. Just start racking it up. Start thinking through all the things that God has done. And it's okay if on that list there's some jagged edges and there's some stuff you're not quite sure about. And there's some things that are still open-ended that you're not quite sure you can connect yet. Just keep going in the things that you can connect and see what God might do inside your heart. And as you hold, Christian, in your hands a piece of bread and you dip it into a cup, and someone says to you, this is the body of Jesus broken for you. This is blood shed for you. Start there at the epicenter of what he's done to show himself kind and gracious to you and be, and be thankful. You could even say thanks be to God or thank you as you take that, just to cultivate that gratitude even now in this moment. There'll be lines here at each aisle. There'll be gluten-free here in the middle. So we just come forward, we tear a piece of the bread off, and we dip it in the cup. If you're a follower of Christ, you're welcome to come. If you're not a follower of Jesus, 
would love to tell you more about how to become a follower of Jesus. Today, you could just sit in your seat and pray. There's some prayers in the back of that bulletin that would give you some examples of how to talk to God, but I'm thankful that you're in the room. This meal is for those who are trusting Jesus, so that's not you. There's no pressure. And if it is you, come with a grateful heart and let's sing together. Let's rejoice together. Let's receive together. Let me pray, and then we'll take communion, and then we'll sing. Jesus, we love you. We say thank you. Thanks that you did all the work. Thanks for the ways you've come to us. And now in this moment, as we break the bread and have the cup, we ask for you to meet us. Would you cultivate gratitude now in this moment? We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, come when you're ready.